to Mark chapter 8. Amen. Mark chapter 8. I want to exhort you from the Word of God. I want to encourage your faith. And then I want to lead us into another time of prayer around these altars. And I want to ask just the, the elders and the pastors if they would just pray with me and pray for people today. I believe God wants to touch you today. How many of you need a touch from the Lord this morning? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. If you're there, say amen. amen. I've entitled my message, Lord, touch me again. Lord, touch me again. Maybe it's not just a title, maybe it's a prayer. And we're going to look at the healing of a blind man by Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. And what's interesting or what's unique about this particular healing, this blind man, the healing of this blind man is only recorded in the Gospel of Mark. But what really makes it unique is that this healing took place in two stages, if you will. Matter of fact, it is the only miracle in the Gospels, it's the only miracle that Jesus ever performed that the touch. Now this is interesting, and I'll, I'll get into it, but it's encouraging for you and I to consider that sometimes we need another touch from the Lord. Sometimes we need God to visit us again. We need the word of the Lord to come to us a second time. And I want you to pray that. I want you to anticipate that. Lord, I need another touch from you. Luke, sorry, Mark chapter 8, verse 22. Then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led, led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and he said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. And he sent him away to his house saying, neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. Now because it's 2020, the year 2020, I, I said I will not have any cliches in my sermons. You've seen them all over social media. 2020 is going to be a year of clarity, going to see clearly this year. So, so I refrain myself from being redundant. But I do want to ask that we pray, Lord, touch us again. I want to look at this story in the life, in the ministry of Jesus. It says that they came to Bethsaida. If you are into geography, Bethsaida is right around the Sea of Galilee. And it's what makes up what 
what historians have called the evangelical triangle of the ministry of Jesus. So you have Bethsaida, you have Chorazin, and you have Capernaum. And that is what historians say make up the evangelical triangle of the ministry of Jesus. Why do they say that? Because Jesus spent a majority of his ministry in that area. So you'll hear him of being in Capernaum. Matter of fact, Capernaum was Jesus' hometown, is where he, he, he resided after he left Nazareth. So he was in Capernaum. He did ministry in Bethsaida and in Chorazim. Now that's a little extra today. If you like history, if you like geography, if you don't, then don't worry about it. But he came to Bethsaida in this coastal town around the Sea of Galilee. And the Bible says they brought a blind man to Jesus. We don't know what his name was. We don't know specifically who brought him. Was it a family? Were, were they friends? But they brought Jesus, they brought this blind man to Jesus to be healed. I want to remind you this morning that you and I are here today, not physically, but we're here spiritually because somebody brought us to Jesus. And I want to ask you, when is the last time you brought somebody to Jesus? When is the last time you used the opportunity to share a testimony of what God has done in your life to somebody else to bring them to Jesus? How many of you know that is our responsibility? The last words of Jesus were to go into all the world and share the good news. So I want to encourage you in 2020, bring someone to Jesus. But here we have this man. He's blind. That means, obviously, he's very limited. Would you take a moment right now? Just close your eyes. Close your eyes. I'm going to keep mine open to see if you're closing yours. But imagine for a moment you had to leave this place and go out of this building to find your way and to get home. Just think of that for a moment, how limiting that would be, how uh, horrifying it would be. Okay, you could open your eyes. Here is this man. He couldn't get there on his own. He needed help to get to Jesus. So they brought him to Jesus. Do you have people in your family, in your life, you need to bring them to Jesus? They are spiritually blind. The Bible says that the God of this world has blinded the eyes or the minds of unbelievers. Jesus talked much about spiritual blindness. He talked about religious leaders that were the blind leading the blind. They would both fall into the ditch. The Bible says that they have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. That tells me that there might be some people here this morning that you need another touch from the Lord. You need God to touch your eyes so that you can see, your ears so that you can hear. Can you say amen? amen? People need to be brought to Jesus because they can gain understanding no other way. No other way. How do I know that? Because the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. It's the very starting point. So they brought him to Jesus. 
And it also says in verse 22, not only did they bring him to Jesus, but they begged him. They begged Jesus to touch him. Here we see their prayers, their intercessions, their pleading. You see, they were asking Jesus They were pleading on the behalf of this man that he would have, that he would be touched. And you see, you and I have a responsibility for our loved ones, for our community, for our city that's living in blindness. We have to plead. We have to intercede. That's why we pray and fast, because people are blind. They need Jesus to touch their eyes. God, help us because we have become so desensitized by a culture that calls evil good and good evil. We have become so desensitized by a culture they want to legalize every form of sin and say it's okay. But it's not okay. It's not okay to legalize marijuana. It's not okay to legalize gambling. It's not okay to legalize prostitution. It's not okay to legalize the killing of unborn babies. It's because we live in a society and a culture that is blind. The Bible says the God of this world. There is a God, you know, of this world. He is known, the the scriptures tell us in Ephesians, that he is the prince of the power of the ear and he now works in the children of the spirit that have the spirit of disobedience God help us God help us a culture that is blind they're blind to the truth of God's word a culture that says what's wrong with you know why be, uh, what's wrong with legalizing these things the The city, the government, they need more taxes. So so let's legalize crack. Let's legalize cocaine. Let's legalize every form of... let's, let's, Let's cut in on it. Let's get some tax revenue. But what does it do to a society and a culture? I tell you, the devil is a liar. This ain't a political issue. It's a sin issue. Come on, it's, it's about what's right and what's wrong. And we live in a culture and a society that's blind, but the problem is it's crept into the church. We've been desensitized. We've been worn down by the logic and the arguments, and we've begun to believe that it's okay. It's not okay. Jesus said they're blind. The blind leading the blind, they will both fall into a ditch. And you and I have a responsibility to pray, to plead with God that God would open up the eyes of the blind. How many are still with me this morning? The scriptures tell us in verse 23, he took the blind man by the hand and he led him out of the town. Now, I want to look at this a little bit, and I want to see what we can learn from this today. Turn to the person next to you say, there's something you can learn today. Amen? Something you can learn. It says that Jesus took the blind man by the hand. What does this show us? This man had to be willing to trust someone to lead him. You see... A blind man, I've been told, 
can become very acclimated to his surroundings. And, and, and a person who's blind, if they live in a house or in a community, they can become so acclimated that they know where to find a cup in a cupboard. They know where to, to find all of the utensils in a home and to move around that home and even to walk around the block and come back to their own home. Why? Because they're able to get acclimated to their setting and, their, and, and where they live and where they're at. So Jesus takes him out of his, his surrounding, is in his comfort zone. How many of you know sometimes God has to take us out of our comfort zone? Where we're comfortable. And what does that cause? That, 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 that will cause a, a need on our part to, to trust to be led. To trust to be led. You see, there's a problem. People who want help, but they don't trust the process. There are people who want help, but they don't understand there's a process. You have to be willing to be led, and you have to trust. You see, I can preach truth to you, but if you don't trust the process, it won't avail you any. You see, I am committed, this church is committed to seek, to honor God, and to preach His Word. So that means there will be a clear-cut instruction from the Word of God. Paul tells us in Acts chapter 20 when he was giving a, a farewell discourse to the leaders of the church in Ephesus. And, and at that church, he began to pour out his heart and review his ministry and, and give him his final words. And he said this to, that, to those leaders. He said, listen, I ha have worked so hard. He said, uh, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not avoided to declare the whole counsel of God to you. What was Paul saying? Paul was using some imagery or some wording from the Old Testament. He said, I am innocent of the blood of all men. What was he saying? He was saying what God told the prophet Ezekiel. God says, you are a, I, I've set you as a watchman, as a prophet. And a watchman's responsibility was when they saw uh, uh, an army coming or, or raiders coming to the city, the, the, the watchman was to see and then he was to warn the people. And the Bible says if a watchman warned the people and the people did not give heed, then the watchman would be free of the blood and the blood would be on the heads of the people who didn't respond. But he says if he saw an enemy coming and he didn't warn the people and, and, and the blood would be upon the, the watchman's hands. And God was saying that to Ezekiel. Listen, you have a responsibility to tell, to declare the, to the people what I say. And, and if you do it and they respond, well, good. If they don't, then the blood is no longer on your hands. It's on their heads. And then he goes on to say, for I have not avoided to declare the whole Counsel of God. What is the whole counsel of God? The whole counsel of God is all of the Word of God. The whole counsel is every part of the Scriptures because we believe that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for instruction, for teaching, and training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped, prepared for every good work. Every word. You say even the stories about Noah? Isn't that a fable? Isn't that a myth? No, it's the Word of God. 
How do I know that? Because there's many uh, exterior proofs, but even Jesus, Jesus himself, when he began to tell his disciples after his resurrection on the road to Emmaus, and he began to have a Bible study, you know what he did? He referred back to the Old Testament scriptures. He began to teach them and say, those are the things that testify of me. And he began to, he told them about Noah. He told them about Jonah. He told them about those stories, and he validated them not as fables but as gospel truth and so we will declare and I will declare the whole counsel of God you know what I have found in life and in ministry people like people love the parts about blessing favor prosperity 2020 is going to be a year of prosperity. Hallelujah. You'll get to people to go to shouting over that one. But if you say 2020 needs to be a year of obedience, a year of ministry, a year of consecration, a year of holiness unto the Lord, you have a little more difficult time. I know you're shouting amen now, but... See, he, he led the man, and, and, and this miracle, this miracle for, for it to happen, it was, it was predicated upon being led by Jesus. You have to trust the process. You know, you could teach about honesty, but I found people still lie. I'm just amazed. I'm just amazed, you know, Christians that lie. Turn to the person next to you and say, is he talking about you? Turn to the person on the other side. He must be talking about you because you didn't respond. <laughs> you know, I, I was with someone, not from this church, so don't worry about it. Don't write me a letter. Don't email me. Not from this church, but we were discussing something. And they're a Christian. And we're, they know we're pastors. They know who we are. And, and, and they're talking about something. And they said, you know what? You just tell people this. It wasn't about, you know, the church per se. But they were lying, and I'm scratching my head, looking at my wife, and they would say, well, you just got to play the game. No, you don't just play the game. Jesus said, let your yes be yes, your no, no. Do not be a false witness. Don't lie. He who lies, let him lie no more. Come on, what does the word of God say? I don't care what TV programs say. I don't care what politicians say. I care what Jesus says. He is going to be my judge. Not man. Not what I think or you think, but what God's word says. You see, if you haven't been somewhere, you've got to trust someone who has been there. See, Jesus had to lead him, and, and, and see, sometimes as a pastor, I have people come to me, and, and, and they got their own ideas, and they want to argue with me about the Bible, about what the Bible says about righteousness, or truth, or holiness, or marriage, or purity, and they want to argue. It's like me going to a doctor, and arguing with him when he brings back the report, the blood, and says your cholesterol's high. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I, I eat good. I exercise. Doctor, I don't believe. Well, that's what the, let's do another blood test. I want to do another blood test. Comes back the same way. Your cholesterol is high. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I'm, I'm going to another doctor. Argue with truth. Argue with facts. See, he, he had to be willing, but, 
But you know what? It also says Jesus not only led him, but he also led him out of the town. Are you willing to leave those around you who would hinder your healing? He led him out of the town. Why is that significant? I want to show you something. Turn back with me to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11, verse 20 and 21. We've got that right up here. Great, thank you. Then, this is Jesus at another time, Matthew 11. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done. This is Matthew 11, verse 20. Because they did not repent. Next scripture. Woe to you, Chorazim. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. What was Jesus doing? He was rebuking and upbraiding the, the cities that he spent the most time in, preaching, teaching, and doing miracles. For this man to receive his miracle, Jesus led him out of where? Bethsaida out of the town to, to get him away from the people, from, from the unbelief that would hinder his healing. I want to ask you this morning, who are you hanging around with? I love the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you fellowshipping? Are you hanging out with people that love Jesus and love his holy word? If not, they will drag you down. Some people, they come to church on Sunday, but they hang out with people who drag them down on Monday. You see, where God is trying to take you, you can't take your friends all the time. See, what could happen in a group, sometimes when you're trying to go higher, when you're trying to go forward, when you're trying to better yourself, when you're trying to get into a new place in a new season, you sometimes have to be removed from people who will hinder you because there's such a thing as called the crab mentality. Have you heard of the crab mentality? If you put one crab in a bucket, it can claw its way up and out and return to the wild. But something interesting happens if you put a bunch of crabs in a bucket. If one of them tries to climb out, the rest will pull it back into the bucket. Further, if the crab tries to climb out a second time, the other crabs gang up on the crab. They don't want that crab to get out. They want that crab to stay crabby. They want that crab to stay with them. And it's true with people. They have a crab mentality. They don't want to see you get better. They don't want to see you go further. There's a jealous spirit. There's a hateful spirit, insecure spirit. Call it whatever you want, but it's a crab spirit. you got to cast that crab out. Amen. And don't look at your spouse right now. He took him by the hand. Let him out of the town, and then he spit on his eyes and put his hands on him. Now, now I don't know about you, but that kind of grosses me out a little bit. Spit on his eyes. Now, I was looking at commentators, and I was trying to figure out why did Jesus spit? I'm sure he got a good one. 
Why did he do it? So I'm reading and I'm studying. I mean, I've read this hundreds of times. And one commentator said back, you know, hundreds of years, thousands of years ago, the ancients believed that there was medicinal uh, properties, healing properties in spit. I don't know if I buy that. Uh, others, others say, uh, you know, it was just a, a point of contact. You know, the man's blind, he can't see, so just give him something he could feel. <laughs> he can't see, <laughs> spit in your eye. Um, I don't know. I, to be honest with you, I don't know the answer. I don't know why he did it. Uh, but one thing I do know, it's humbling. It's humbling. I, I, I don't know, nobody probably want to admit it, but maybe in a schoolyard, maybe growing up, some, some mean, ugly person spit at you. That's, that's a humbling thing. That's, that's a, a form of disgust and despising someone. But Jesus didn't obviously do it for that reason, but I do believe that whatever it was, it was humbling. And sometimes, for us to receive from God, we have to lay down our pride. I don't want to say sometimes, all the times. Because the Bible says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So Lord, if you've got to spit in my eye, go right ahead. <laughs> Lord, my healing, my miracle, my blessing is, is too important. Humble yourself. So that means you, you, come, you come to the... I shared, I shared Wednesday night you know, about a, a crusade we went to. We brought a, a couple of van loads to uh, New Jersey. Uh, a few years ago, there's an evangelist that we have been connected with and knew about the ministry. And so we just went on a little spiritual retreat, took a couple of van loads, stayed at a hotel, went to this church in New Jersey. And this evangelist you know, was powerfully used by God and... After the service, he prayed for people, and he literally prayed for, there was probably about two or 3,000 people there, praying for hundreds and hundreds of people. And we're standing in line, and our group is standing in line, and we're at the end of the line. We're the last people there. And this evangelist is going around, and we're finally saying, here, now's our time. Would you believe and I'm glad I got witnesses. Well, everything I say is true. So help me God. But I got witnesses. When he came to us, he abruptly turned around and said he was done. And he went and he left. Now this was probably, I don't know, 11, 12 o'clock at night after a long service. So he was tired. He was just exhausted. But he just so happened to quit on us. Here we are standing there, and it's like, are you kidding? We've waited all night to receive prayer. What are, what are we, like, uh, you just kind of leave us? And, 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 and you want to talk about getting offended? You want to talk about getting a, an attitude and, and feeling like, oh, I can't believe this. God, why did you, look? you know, I'll never come back here. I don't, but, you know, all that. But you know what we did? We turned it around, and we started praying for one another. And then other people saw what was going on, and they came into our prayer line. We created our own revival. Uh, we had a revival in the midst of a revival. We created our own prayer line, and we began to pray for people. And God started moving and touching people. 
What am I trying to say? Sometimes in life, things won't go exactly the way you'd like them to go. But when you keep your heart right and you keep a good attitude and you let faith rise up, you realize that God can turn this thing around. And whatever's troubling you this morning, whatever is confounding you, and I, and I want to issue a, 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 a warning, and I kind of did it on Facebook with, with that scripture about be sober and vigilant. After a fast, this spiritual warfare could intensify. And you've got to be sober and you've got to be vigilant and realize that, that, that the closer you get to your breakthrough, the more the devil's going to attack you because he wants to wear you down so you give up. But we know that we've been in this too long. We've got a faith track record. We've got a faith history of God working. And, and as difficult as it is for me sometimes, as hard as it is to believe one more time, I know that I know that I know that God has done it in the past. He'll do it again. And even when it takes long, sometimes the greater the blessings take the longer. And so we just believe and we trust God. And, and, and in this passage of scripture, Jesus goes on to ask him, and I'm almost done, and if the singers and musicians could just begin to come back. Jesus says, look at verse 20, 23. He asks him if he saw anything. Jesus asked him, said, did you see? Do you see anything? Verse 24, and he looked up and he said, I see men like trees walking around. I see men like trees walking around. This, as I said, is the only partial healing in the New Testament ministry of Jesus. It's the only partial healing. So the question is, did Jesus lack faith? Was, was it the end of his, the day and Jesus was tired and, uh-oh, i got to pray for him? No way. Could it be Jesus failed? I wish I could sing because I'd break out into song, Jesus never fails. Jesus never fails. Jesus did not lack faith. No way. So what was it? What was it? Could Jesus touch someone and still they're untotally healed? I don't know the full answer, but I do know God was trying to teach a lesson in this. This was like an object lesson. Some commentators said that in the context, if you look before and after, Jesus is dealing with the blindness of the Pharisees. And, and, and they thought that they saw clearly, but they really didn't. And they needed another touch. And, and he, this man said, I see men as trees. And I appreciate his honesty, but it, it tells me that sometimes we don't see clearly. And, and just like this man, maybe we could try to fake it and just go on like everything's all right. Well, I, I see you. I'm, I'm good. But, but the honesty and the sincerity. Sometimes we have to pray like the psalmist, search me, O God. Search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in paths of righteousness. Why do we have to pray, Lord, search me? Is it because the Lord needs to find it because he don't see it? No, because we need God to search us and reveal things to us that we're not even aware of. 
We all have blind spots. We're all limited sometimes in the perception and the understanding of our own selves. And and we don't see things and we need God to reveal them. But the reality of it is, people of God, the reality of it is for each and every one of us, sometimes we just need a second touch. We just need the Lord to touch us again and again and again and again. You see, this Christian race is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And along the way, we're going to need God to touch us. We're going to need Him to touch our eyes to see again, our ears to hear again. He's going to need to revive our heart. He's going to need to tell our heart to beat again. We need the Lord to touch us, and that requires trust. It requires humility. It requires faith. It requires a process. But the Bible says, Jesus, what did Jesus do to this man? Jesus touched him, put his hands on his eyes again, and made him look up. And he was restored, and he saw everyone clearly. Would you stand together with me this morning? He saw everyone clearly. Again, if I could sing, I'd break out into song. I can see clearly now. The rain is gone. I can see all obstacles in my way. Come on. Come on. Jesus wants to touch you to see clearly. Amen. Vilma, you want to sing that song? No, I'm just kidding. Come on. God wants us to see clearly this morning. It's too critical. It's too important. Because if not, you're going to see men as trees. And that's not natural. That's not healthy. And I want to be able to see clearly this morning. I want the Lord to touch me again because I live in a world we live in a world of darkness and you know what Jesus said if 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 your eye is dark then your whole body's dark so it's important that we get the light of God flowing through our body we're living in a spiritual minefield of all manner of evil and sin and wickedness and vileness in our culture our culture is on a downward spiral it's decaying It's time for the church to begin to see clearly so that we can bring other people to Jesus. I want to encourage you. Would you move out of your seats? Would you make that your prayer? Lord, I want to see clearly this morning. Lord, I want to see clearly. We're going to begin to pray, but I want you to just begin to worship the Lord this morning. All of us need to have that prayer again. Pray that prayer again. Lord, I need to see clearly. Lord, you've touched me before. Touch me again. You've touched me in the past. I need to see clearly. Touch me again this morning. Amen. A weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper.